It's a spooky episode of Medium Majors. We are recording it at the witching so hour. Late. In... Wait, wait, wait. Liam? What? I'm what's, so tired. What's, what's today's date? Right, well, it's July 3rd. Oh, okay, it's July 4th. Oh, in oh Christ, minutes. Liam. No. Yeah, <laughs> Is this an end of. Oh, oh. Oh! I'm Warwick Wolf Garland. See, a oh, couple no. of four fourth of July's and seven score ago, no, 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 I no. was bitten by a liberal not... pundit. Oh, God. And so now, every fourth of July under the full moon, mm-hmm. right. I turn into a liberal pundit to talk about Russia, how Russia is mind controlling us, to uh-huh, uh, uh-huh. tout around Louise Mensch, cool, and cool, cool. to. Uh, Kill this bit that was a pun in my mind in the car ride on the way home from work today. I, from now on, we're running all puns by me. I thought we were <laughs> done with bits at the top. I thought we were just going to do conversational openings. I know, but I came up with Warwick Wolf Garland. Fun fact, real Tom Lockney fun fact. I'm blocked by Eric Garland on Twitter. That is a fun uh, fact. Uh, and I came up with that on the way home, and it was too good and too juicy for me to not do something incredibly stupid with it. Okay, so that's one option we have for an opening. This is true. Not saying we have to go back and start over. <laughs> <laughs> this is Media Majors. It's a storytelling podcast where... That Tom ruins. Storytelling podcast that Tom Lockney ruins with his friend yes. Liam Sr., on this podcast, Liam and I like to tell each other stories from our preferred mediums. I'm interested in video games and internet culture. And I'm interested in Medium, the show that I think with Jennifer Garner or Jennifer Love Hewitt did, where she was a medium. I also talk about movies and television, mostly. Our theme for this week is some sort of location or event that uh, the events of which outshine their location. Should I just say, like, a fucked up gathering? I mean, I I think that we should cut what we say the theme is and just let the audience figure out what the theme is. All right. Hey, guess what, guys? This is going to be a real antagonistic podcast this week since we're recording so late. So you think, you you listen and see if you can figure out what the theme is this week, listeners. Because we we're not here to hold your end. fucking hands. Ooh, we can Ugh. tell it at the end. It can be like a fun... A reveal. Yeah, sure. I'm going first this week. Okay, and apparently mom and dad are fighting. You can choose which parent you are. <laughs> Chapter one, Tumblr? I hardly know her. Okay, I approve. Tumblr is a social media site with two distinct features. One, much like every other social media platform, the people running it have no fucking clue what they're doing. (laughs) Two, much unlike every other social media platform, the site's dominant culture is that of social justice, often engaging in both productive and unproductive discourse. There are plenty of reasons this progressive culture thrives uniquely on Tumblr, but that's a different story for a different day. I say all of this not only to provide context, but also to explain why the story I'm about to tell has been told many times, often in mean spirit and bad faith. 
So I, I have no interest in indulging in the fucking like weird, sick delights of the right or the center. And would like to say that the moral of today's story is not, ha ha, look at these dumb SJWs. It is simply a story about a comedy of errors. This is the story of Dashcon. I don't know what this is. Chapter two. <laughs> Fuck, this is the worst thing I've ever done. In Xanadu did Tumblecon a stately pleasure dome decree. <laughs> that was a parfait of bad decisions. I hope you like my fucking Samuel Taylor Coleridge poetry goof, listeners of medium majors. In 2013, Tumblr's aforementioned user base decided to create a fan convention. The user base got together and started an Indiegogo campaign raising the $4,000 necessary to organize what was then known as TumbleCon, or I like to say TumbleCon. Uh, I, like, I like TumbleCon. They quickly changed the name to DashCon so as to reflect that the convention is unaffiliated with the Tumblr company proper. I have a note here that I don't quite know what it means. Dashboard conventional? Uh, dashboard confessional joke? Yeah, why don't they call all dashboard confessional concerts a dashboard conventional? <sighs> About a decade too late for that goof to get made. This was... <laughs> That's just so non-relevant. Like, for oh, some reason, Christ. there are things you can reference from a while ago, and it's, like, okay to reference them, and that was not... Dashboard confessional is not one of them. It's so late at night, everybody. It's so late. I'm so <laughs> tired. I want to go to bed. This was more than a fan meetup. More Several talks and meetup. panels were planned, all centered around various popular Tumblr fandoms, such as Sherlock, Supernatural, Attack on Titan, and Welcome to Night Vale. I like one of those things. Popular webcomic artist Noel Stevenson was slated as a guest speaker, as was the entire cast of Welcome to Night Vale, who had agreed to a live podcast and QA session at DashCon. Uh, oh, to be honest with you, this shit seemed fucking pretty poppin'. So tickets went on sale, 65 for the weekend, and 30 to 50 for a day pass. Think of all the goop tickets you could have bought instead. <laughs> The con was scheduled to take place over three days in the Renaissance Schomburg Convention Center Hotel starting on July 11th, I'm sorry, 2014. Schomburg? Schomburg. I put a little, little like, meat on it. Put a little stroganoff sauce on that bad boy. Yeah. Little mushrooms and sour cream. And uh, when July 11th, 2014 rolled around, mm-hmm. chapter three, chaos reigned dashcon was nothing like anyone expected day one do you have like civil war letters you're gonna read despite projections that three to seven thousand people would attend the first day crowd was closer to one thousand to fifteen hundred at least one vendor left due to insufficient Wait, sales I'm sorry. oh sorry no never mind keep going and minors who were being admitted into 18 plus talks. That is super rad. <laughs> That's so cool. Hell yeah. Hey guys, come to DashCon. If you're a 15 year old, come to DashCon. We'll teach you how to fuck. 
I learned so much at the fingering seminar. I went to DashCon, and I'm into sounding now. Uh, most alarmingly, however... Every, <laughs> every convention, they go, sound off at the top, and I wince a little bit inside and out. Most alarmingly, however... I got the jealous hotel. when you brought up sounding before me. I wanted to play in the sounding sandbox also. Yo, Christ. You don't want to play in a sounding sandbox because then you'll you'll never get the grains out. <laughs> God damn it. Yuck. We are just filthy people, and I love it. It's like a reverse kidney stone. <sighs> Most alarmingly, the hotel threatened to shut down the event on day one unless they received 17000 U.S. dollars before 10 p.m. to pay for use of the facilities. This announcement was made at... 9 p.m., which gave con-goers and organizers a literal fucking human life hour to garner $17,000. And so, okay, like, car wash, e- okay, sexy I guess. Car wash, sexy car wash and bake sale. Sexy bake sale. <laughs> come, come to my lemonade stand and get sounded. <laughs> Sounds like a tasty treat. But it isn't. No. It's a metal rod inserted in your urethra. See, the hotel got spooked as most of the revenue was going to be generated through ticket sales. And with attendance so low, a recoup on investment seemed unlikely. This sent both the organizers and the public into a panic. All over Tumblr posts around about the 17K spread. A collection begins, both online via PayPal and in person, literally collecting cash in a brown paper bag. There's one story that's sort of infamous of a person saying, like, I gave probably, like, somewhere above $350. I, that, that was in my wallet, and it's in that bag now, and it's gone forever. Despite this setback, they hit their goal, and the convention continues, though not without a few snags. Convention organizers had to deal with accusations that they were scamming convention goers into ponying up cash. Their mismanagement of funds, which we'll get to in a second, didn't help the organizers' case. People were riled up, <laughs> chanting lines from a high school musical stop, and stop. throwing up oh the three-finger salute from Hunger Games. Oh, okay. shit. Okay, let's talk about this for the next 20 minutes. Okay. So they were singing what we're all in this together, I imagine? Probably. Oh, God. There's Teens video of the it. Worst. No, there can't be. Oh, there's absolutely video of it. And they're doing the three-finger salute from the Hunger Games because, as we all know, suffering under a dystopia, starving to death, is exactly like going to a poorly managed convention. The best part about starving to death is that there are two cute boys that like you. (laughs) Nothing is more cringeworthy than the misappropriation of pop culture. (laughs) It's later confirmed that, in fact, the con-goers are not attempting to scam anybody Not surprising, they are simply just inexperienced organizers. So that's day one. Day two. Welcome to Night Vale arrives, only to find that the con will not be paying them for their travel or performance due to a mismanagement of funds. (laughs) So they dip. Classic Cecil. You know how you just, like, do a thing for free and fly around the country? They they were in the middle of, like, their American tour, and they put a lot of effort into fitting this in, and then it just totally fucking fell apart. Noelle Stevenson follows suit after the moderator for her panel never shows up. 
She also discovers that her hotel expenses will not be paid by the con. She shares an Airbnb with the folks from Welcome to Night Vale. Now, Night Vale was a ticketed event, as in you had to purchase a separate ticket in order to attend their show. This meant that a lot of people were out a lot of money. Night Vale was used as one of the main draws of DashCon. Yikes. So, you know, Liam. Yes, that's what they call me. You're a convention organizer. You're a convention organizer. And yesterday, you had to ask people, strangers, who had already paid you money for their tickets for Mm $17,000. And now, because of your inability to successfully organize a convention, many of your headlining acts, let's call them, have peaced. And... People are out a lot of money. People are upset at you, and they've already been accusing you of scamming them. So what would you do to compensate these uh, these poor concert goers or convention goers? It's not a concert. It's a convention. I would put on a free benefit concert and call America's Sweetheart Smash Mouth to play the, the gig. Yeah, and Owl City headlines. I don't believe he saw that many fireflies. I like to make myself believe. Finger guns! Well done, sir. Thank you. To compensate, the organizers infamously offered ticket holders, quote, an extra hour in the ball pit. Seriously? Is this a fucking joke? Is this a fucking bit that you pre-wrote? Liam, let me... seriously what they... Let me describe this ball pit to you. It was in a room. Okay. A large room. An empty room. Think like four basketball courts, hardwood floors, as far as the eye can see. And then imagine for me an inflatable ball pit the size of a kiddie pool, knee high to a frog, literally like literally like maybe six by six by two. That was the ball pit. There are all these pictures of it that are very, very sad. Oh god. And it quickly became a meme. Because everybody was like what the fuck is this bullshit? But hey, y'all, let's go to the, let's get fucking wild. Let's fucking wild out in the ball pit. So yeah, Congoers obviously feel insulted, but hey, free fucking ball pit hour. It does not last long. Folks had too much fun with their hour, <laughs> and it started to deflate. And there is also a rumor, unconfirmed, that somebody peed in the ball pit. That's you don't. Someone peed in the ball pit. God, I hope that's true. It's I totally hope true. to God it's, that that's true. It's Newton's law of ball pits. For every ball pit, there is an equal and opposite spray of pee. If I was there, I, I because I'm a fucking filth bag, would have dove headfirst into the piss ball pit, so that way I could have made myself a t-shirt that said, I swam in the piss ball pit at DashCon 2014. The fuck is wrong with you? piss in my mouth you can't blame this on how late it is into the night now no information You've crossed over into being into like hashtag piss pig territory <laughs> which is an unfortunate hashtag my friend once tweeted that i clicked on and discovered the world of the subculture that is buff men peeing on each other as a sign of dominance there's another subculture about holding in your pee as long as you can and deriving sexual pleasure from it. No information exists about day three. I assume that's because it <laughs> went... I, I mean, that sounds sinister. The but... records for day three were burned in the great fire of day four. 
I assume I assume it's because nothing of note happened on day three. Like nothing super fucked up happened. I think that it just sort of went according to plan, or as according to plan as you can get after those two fucking opening days. Day three, Gwen paid extra for a root beer. Dashcon, shockingly, has not been repeated since. <laughs> There's oh, always no. time. No more ball pit. No more ball pit. God, if we ever, if there's ever another Dashcon, they should just rent out an empty pool and get everybody to pee into it. They should buy everybody 17k worth of drinks, have everybody pee in the pool. Obviously, you know, blood tests first to make sure it's safe for everybody, and I'm then not, just let us dive right in I don't and like swim around. I don't. Like It'll be like that gif of Scrooge McDuck diving into his golden bat, but instead of It'll money. It'll be like that scene in DuckTales, you Philistine. Instead of money, it'll be Tumblr urine. This is a weird episode. You're, don't blame me. <laughs> Dashcon is often held up by critics as proof of the incompetence of Tumblr users, but clearly the problem here was the organizers and not the people. And that is the story of Dashcon. That's ridiculous. Yep, it sure fucking is, Liam. And you know what else is ridiculous? We're part of a podcast network that has other shows on it. And you're about to hear from one right now. Dude, I don't know what's wrong wrong with me tonight. tonight? (laughs) Hi there, I'm Eric McAdams. I host the podcast Big Time Whoopsies, a podcast about incompetence on a grand scale. Every other Wednesday on the Major Cast Network or wherever podcasts are downloaded. Please listen. Please. Please. This network is the the best. I was about Just, to say the worst, but I meant wonderful. This network is great. It's full of stellar talents, like the incomparable Eric McAdams and the ineffable Josh Phillips. And, and then us. two dingleberries. And then, and then Liam, the shirtless Liam Sr. Jr. Sr., and Tom pissing my mouth, Lockney. God damn. <laughs> oh, Christ, it's so late. It's... Liam, for the love of God, tell me this story before I say any more pee stuff. Okay, so part one. A nickel odyssey. So you'll, you'll see. June 19th, 1905, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Harry Davis and John P. Harris... Move 96 seats into an empty store at 433-435 Smithfield Street and transform it into the world's first movie theater. They name it the Nickelodeon, based on the cost of admission to the theater, a nickel, and the Greek word for theater, Odeon, Odeon. Is that where Nickelodeon gets its name from? Yeah, that's where they took the name from, from the old nickel theaters. The more you Um, know. A lot of the appeal to old silent movies in theaters was like kind of an upper class thing for the working class the amount of movies they saw were relegated to like street pornography we'll talk about this on a, in a very special episode coming up very soon yeah yeah the fucking proletariat knows how to get the fuck down okay essentially so this theater was the first to show films all day long and uh, it was a huge success, and thousands of Nickelodeons began appearing all across America. And uh, by 1908, there was 
uh, all different types of theaters. They called them gems. They called them Nickelodeons. They called them bijous. There are even a couple that are still around today that still show movies. Uh, silent films were the ones that came out, and they were quite the rage. So like I said, at first, movie theaters were just kind of like stuff for the upper class to do. This is a very famous uh, story, small little tangent, when they showed a movie called The Great Train Robbery, and there's a scene of a train going on the track and uh, and like right towards the camera, and people were so afraid that they thought the train was actually going to hit them because people were dumb. I know that that's a story that people always cite as like, wow, like this is how new this technology was for everybody. It is definitely an example of how stupid these people were. Hell yeah, dude. See, performance spaces like theaters were usually for plays or operas, which was in America, usually a more sort of more upper-class socialite thing. Uh, but as the 20th century chugged along, movie theaters saw a huge influx of the working class, a combination of struggling families desiring escape from their humdrum lives. Uh, a lot of immigrants, for example, uh, would, would go to movies on the weekends as a form mm-hmm. of something to do with their families. And it was also a place where teenagers could finger each other in the dark. And people would just drop off their kids in a movie theater all day. And, uh, you know, it was a social gathering of some sorts. My kids always come back from the movie theater with their friends, and they just reek. <laughs> reek of pussy and cock. But they probably would reek of, like, cigarette smoke and... Like, alcohol. People would just, and, oh, yeah, not alcohol, but mostly cigarette smoke. But, yeah, people would sneak in booze and, like... It, it, I remember we read this article in one of my history classes about American pop culture where it was like, yep, people, like... Theaters were a place where there was weird sexual experimentation amongst teenagers. And I was like, this seems inappropriate for us to be learning. All that condomless fucking at the matinee. During a Bugs Bunny cartoon, no less. (laughs) Part two, silence is golden. In 1942, silent film buff John Hampton and his wife Dorothy purchased a vacant lot. John was an avid film collector and collected old reels and silent movies since he was a young boy. So he and his wife opened the first silent movie theater after moving to Los Angeles. The theater was two stories, and the couple lived on the floor above. Uh, The thing was, by 1942, silent movies were completely passe. Talkies were all the rage. But John was a huge silent film fan and wanted to pay homage to his favorite art form and it worked out really well for him probably just because it was in los angeles because people like charlie chaplin and buster keaton and dw griffin griffith would all uh, come see their movies so it's like a huge deal because they were huge 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 film stars dw griffith made the first ever movie and he made it about the ku klux klan which is devastating to say the least <laughs> just real sad. just awful Uh, It's also largely thanks to the Hamptons that a number of classic masterpieces survived. Uh, They would tour studios and buy silent films, and they would also restore them. Uh, The 250-seat movie house had a staggered seating and a bowl-shaped floor for acoustic sound. It had its own organist pit. Uh, And in the bathroom, John would restore and redevelop old films. 
In an article from the Dead History Projects, uh, Mr. Hampton transferred his bath t- transformed his bathtub into a film lab, dyeing and redeveloping old nitrate film. His Phantom of the Opera, probably the best version of the original in existence, took acquiring eight separate prints over five years. Uh, and then he spliced it and meticulously dyed the frames to make sure they matched. Fortunately, those chemicals in a unventilated bathroom or a not ventilated well bathroom will cause severe repercussions and in the 80s but you will get super fucking lit kids media majors huff nitrous in the 80s don't do that please don't do that please don't do that john (laughs) developed cancer and uh they closed down the May Madison, a former Busby Berkeley girl. I think that's a cigarette girl that worked for the theater. I have no fucking idea. But she's quoted as saying that they hid like church mice behind the broken down facade hanging onto their films. I don't know how they survived. So apparently they just shut the theater down and like shut in to watching world silent movies. Like Phantom of the Opera type shit. Yes. That's rad for them. Super creepy for everybody else. John Hampton died in 1990 from lung cancer uh, to meet medical bills. They sold the print collection for 400000 And Lawrence Austin, a son of one of the couple's friends, approached Dorothy about opening the theater again. He bought the theater from her, and the shutters came off in 91. And public screenings at the Silent Theater resumed. It was called the Silent Theater also. I don't know if I said that. Part three. Murder on the Odeon Express. Huh? Yeah. Huh? Starring a domestic abuser. Kenneth Johnny Branagh? Depp. Oh. Johnny Depp. I think he I think he's the one that gets murdered on the Express. Good. Lawrence Austin, new owner of the theater. He was gonna renovate the theater. And during the renovation, he hires a man named James Van Sickle to paint the silent movie theater. Despite a forty year age difference. Austin was 67 and Van Sickle was 27. The two hit it off romantically, and Van Sickle eventually moved into the upstairs apartment with Lawrence and began working as the theater's projectionist. It was January 17, 1997, and the silent movie theater was showing the 1927 film Sunrise. Lawrence Austin greeted everyone at the door as usual. There were about 60, 70 people in the theater at the time, including Van Sickle, at the projectionist booth, and Mary Giles, or Giles, behind the candy counter. And then there was another attendee, 19-year-old Christian Rodriguez. He was greeted by Austin and entered the theater and waited patiently in the back for the film to start. When the second short school days began, Rodriguez went back to the lobby and asked if he could buy advance tickets. She took him to see Austin, and Rodriguez demanded the money, shot the owner, and <sighs> fled. He also shot the candy girl, but she survived. They were the only two people shot. Uh, Lawrence Austin was 74 years old. It turns out the projectionist had put a hit out on his lover. What? Yup. Why? Uh, okay, so- but uh, well, trying to trying to refrain from any judgment here. Why? <laughs> so he was like the next, not the next of kin, but the sole inheritor to everything that. Uh, Lawrence Austin was going to receive, which was a million, about a million dollars, and James Van Sickle had some t- form of debt. 
Um, I couldn't find what type of debt it was. I so I'm gonna guess gambling of some sort. But yeah, he he met this 19 year old, and was like, "Do you want twenty five thousand dollars? You have to kill my boss slash lover." Wow. And the the guy did. Um, they're both arrested. They are both put in prison and set to life in prison. I feel like hitmen never work out. No, you know? never. It never works out. It never works out. It's Absolutely. always like, oh, you killed this person. Why did you kill this person? Oh, because this dumb motherfucker paid me. All right, now you're both going to jail. So, yeah, it took the police like 10 days to figure it out. Lawrence Austin um, was actually kind of fitting that he ran this theater, mm-hmm. unfortunately, before being shot. His mother was the tailor for Cecil B. DeMille. Oh, my God. I get to say his name again. Hang on a second. Let me get in real close to the mic here. Cecil B. DeMille. (laughs) That made somebody horny. Yeah, that's someone's new thing now. 1999. Mm -hmm. And a man named Charlie Lussman is eating a falafel sandwich and walking down the street in Los Angeles when he sees the silent movie theater has been put up for sale. He purchases the theater for $1.3 million. He remodels the space, adds a new marquee, and he reopens the doors on November 5th in 1999. He starts not only showcasing movies, but also offering special events. In 2006, after falling ill, he sells the property to Dan and Sammy Harkin, and the brothers then form CineFamily, a nonprofit organization of movie lovers devoted to finding and presenting interesting and unusual programs of sexual, distinctive, weird, and wonderful films. That's super cool. It has a board of directors that features Scott Pilgrim screenwriter Michael Bacall and 21 and 22 Drum Street co-director Phil Lord. However, it's still weird that they operate out of a movie theater where a very strange hit took place on a very nice old man. That so ends my story. Apologies if it got a little scary at at that one point. When the man pulled, whenever, when it, it's Chekhov's gun, it's Chekhov's gun, gun. like whenever it's like, and he had a 357 Magnum, it's like, well, I bet he didn't light his cigarette with it. So I've wanted to talk about uh, how movie theaters were essentially places for teenagers to go get fingered for the longest time. And I read about it in my history class. I even Facebook messaged my old history teacher like, hey, I remember reading this article. I didn't get specific about uh, fingerings and whatnot, but I did say like teenagers. Yo, teach! Years. Yo, was, teach! Remember me? I'm uh, trying to talk about how people would just really get in, get in, and do the three finger spread over in that there movie theaters. Uh, and he he just sent me to a book that I've read in like three different film history classes. <laughs> so, as an opening for Self Care Corner, I just thought of it. Okay. I just have to get the words right, and I got this, my friend. All right. Hit me, daddy. I wanted to do, like, a Law & Order type <laughs> opening. And why hit me, daddy? Come on, man. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, now I don't want to do my Law & Order goof where he's going to be like, on the podcast Media Majors, there are two separate but equal parts at the end of this podcast. The self-care we instill to make ourselves feel better and the corner we placed on. This is Self-Care Corner. So I guess we can use that, but it was ruined with your hit me, daddy. That is excellent. Thank you. 
I'm so sorry. It's just so late and I'm so tired. And I still oh, have to I... play at least an hour of Breath of the Wild later Dude, tonight. I got Bloodborne. I've had it for 24 hours. I have not made it past the second, the first boss. <laughs> I have not gotten to the first boss because, and I'm not bad at it. Like, I'm not stumbling around. It's, it's just a very hard game. Do you have a self-care corner, Tom? I do have a self-care corner. My brother got a Switch, and he isn't playing it for like a week. So I'm playing Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. And even though I'm fucking exhausted and being a weirdo talking about getting pissed on, uh, I'm still going to stay awake probably for more than an hour later tonight playing Breath of the Wild because y'all, 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 that goddamn game is real fucking good. I just met the shark boy, and yes, yeah, everybody, the you were right. True. <laughs> I want to fuck the shark guy. I had a feeling. All right, Liam, do you got a self-care corner? Oh, Tom, do I have a self-care corner? Ooh, hit me, daddy. No. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm putting my foot down. Oh, my God. So, a lot of people might not know this, but... Uh, co-host of musty tv josh phillips and i are friends in real life as well and we both live in new york and i'm about to move to los angeles and we've been meaning to try what we've heard from one of our friends who's a quote-unquote pizza expert that the best pizza in all of (laughs) new york that just means they smoke a lot of weed he doesn't he's he he he's just an asshole but uh (laughs) The best pizza in New York is this place in Brooklyn called Defara's, where the pizza is handmade by an 82-year-old Italian man named Dom, who imports all his ingredients from Italy, including what we think to be non-pasteurized cheese, which is illegal in the U.S. And That's not true. I sell non-pasteurized cheese. It just has to be raw. Oh, shit. Yeah, dude, non-pasteurized cheese is legal in the U.S. It just has to be prepared properly. Cheese facts. Cheese. You came to Media Majors for stories about media? Fuck you. Cheese facts. So, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, Dom's not feeling well today, so the pizza's not going to be as good. Or sometimes his family, like, has to, has to help him out because he's an old man. So we go. Yo, Dom is fucked up on that K. This pizza is going to be hella whack. Uh, so we go, and Dom is wearing a straw, Jason Mraz like fedora, and he's making the pizza. And we wait an hour and a half for a whole pie, and we finally get it. Weather's not too bad outside. We don't have to wait that long. Josh and I find this bench near a closed convenience store we can sit on. And, my God. Before he got the pizza, Dom grabs, like, goes into the bag and gets, like, fresh basil from the garden tied with twine and a pair of scissors and he just cuts these fresh big chunks of bagel uh, basil on this pizza and he cut it open and we you take a bite and it like it melted in my mouth it was the best pizza i've ever had in my life sounds like a stellar za homie no tom you don't understand Liam, i don't it's it, I never was a, will. it was a religious experience I'll never be you able to pizza eat now? pizza. Well, no, I just, I just, I will. We're going to a state that's famously shitty for its pizza. Pizza is Fuck. one of my favorite things in the world. So we'll just say we're going to be making a lot of homemade pizza. Sounds good to me. All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening 
to another wet and wild episode of Media Majors after dark. The 4th of July episode now, technically. Yes. Um, um, follow us on Twitter at Media Majors Cast. Liam and I's Twitter is in the bio. Email us at Media Majors Podcast at gmail.com. If you've got a self care corner that you'd like to be, you'd like to have read aloud on the program, uh, leave us a rating and review on iTunes. If you do, we'll give you a shout out. And we just love, you know, it doesn't have to be long, just like a sentence. And, you know, we'll love you very, very much. And maybe given the content of this episode, you don't want that, but. You know what? In that case, just give us like three stars, maybe. I got three things I like to pl- I'd like to plug, <laughs> and they're all your penis. Yep. So in that case, I got three Sounding. more things I'd like to plug. One, I make music under the name Sword Dinosaur. It's it's lo-fi, trippy, hip hop stuff. If you're a teenager in the suburbs who smokes a lot of weed, I think we're gonna get along nicely. Uh, number two. Tom, on a recent Musty TV recording that you were on, you mentioned that you liked the show Archie Fucks. Yes. Well, did you know that friend of the podcast, Jane, has started a Riverdale parody account with one of her hilarious friends? And it's very funny, and I'd like to it's plug that if that's okay. It's excellent, and you absolutely should plug it. Riverdale spoilers at Serpent Vixen. Sorry, Serpent Vixens. I would like to plug my favorite podcast on the Major Cast Network, Big Time Whoopsie. Episode 5 is coming out this week, last oh, yeah, week Big when this Time drops. Whoopsies episode 5 is going to be so good. It's going to be really good. So I just wanted to give that a quick shout out and say, hey, go check that out. Yeah. That's all. Yep. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll catch you next week. For our big, important 50th fucking episode. 50th Wait, fucking can we take episode. a minute? Can we take a minute to talk, to talk about that for a second? We're about to record our 50th episode. And you know what we're going to do for it? We're going to talk about pornography. Going to talk about pornography. The, you thought this episode got fucking weird. Jesus Christ, just, just wait. wait. till the next one. Um, holy shit. But holy shit, Tom, we're about to record our 50th Media Majors. Yeah, dude, that's fucking nuts. Uh, do you know when it'll have been a year? Uh, August 8th? August 15th, you were a August week. August 15th. You were a week off. August 15th is the first post we made. Wow. Back in the days when we were just using a fucking Tumblr, and we still posted links to research. Fuck that shit. Fuck that shit. Thank you guys so much for doing this with us. 50 episodes. Yeah. Can't believe it, man. It's really nice, and it's nice to see that we're continuing to grow. Thank you, everybody, new and returning. Let your friends know about the podcast, even though we are now technically, or not technically, literally, an advertised podcast. You know, we still want to grow from word of mouth, so if you like what we do, let let a friend know. And as always, we'll be there for you. Daddy. Thanks for listening to the Major Casts Network. Stay fun, stay nasty, and stay major.